Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. The company that um, I work for um, is involved in a wide range of different operations. And one of those operations is to build uh, machines that are used in the uh, food processing industry. And one of those machines we internally call a, a biz pack, and um, it packs biscuits, uh, biscuits made from cereal flakes. Um, and, uh, for example, in a, in a packet you might have um, uh, four rows of 12 biscuits stacked on top of one another. Um, and the biscuits are stacked on on top of one another. There's no uh, paper filling between, um, and the biscuits, of course, have to fit exactly into uh, the the packet so that uh, if they rattled around, they would break and go to crumbs. Um, if they were not quite the right size, um, then twelve wouldn't fit in the packet and uh, the uh, that would be different to what the packaging claims is uh, in there. So uh, years ago, these uh, biscuits were, were packed by hand. Uh, say were, were two people at a line as the biscuits were coming down, they would take the, take the biscuits off the production line and, and put them in the packets. And so a machine was designed to pack these uh, biscuits and um, these uh, machines cost several million dollars to build to replace two humans. And it required a team of engineers to design these machines that two humans could do just with their hands. And um, engineering design for processes like that and all the bits and pieces, and I've seen these machines being built, and... Um, there's uh, no way, in my view anyway, that um, given the, the number of parts and electronic components and so forth, that, that these machines could be assembled, say, for example, by a, you know, a two- or three-year-old putting par parts together randomly. They, they would never come up with a solution. So to me, um, when you compare the complexity of the nerves, muscles, tendons and so forth, circulatory systems that are just in a pair of hands, all the bones and joints, all the different cells that are on the uh, surface uh, of the, uh, the joints and in the structure, extremely complex and and so we have this powerful evidence for design. But in industry, um, the systems engineering, the engineer in charge looking at a, a total system. So you have individual specialist engineers working different systems uh, in different components of the entire system. And um, But when you have a very complex engineering problem, you require the approach which is called systems engineering. And this has been recognised uh, as a, a science for over about 60 years, I suppose. And it's a, this approach is essential, really, to the proper development of complex and complicated man-made systems. As I was reading a very interesting article by Dr Jonathan Carrado, um, who uh, had qualifications in um, mechanical and systems engineering. And he wrote quite an interesting article on the, the, um, the Earth system, for example, as being designed for, for life. And he, he called his art, uh, article The Earth's Design for Life, a systems engineering masterpiece. 
he um, talks about the um, when you look at the the earth, the earth itself has a number of really complex systems. And um, so he talks about how, for example, systems engineering, he defines as the discipline that integrates complicated systems and ensures that they operate and that there's balance and integration, and which, uh, of course, then defines that the, the system will be successful. So for a, when you're looking at a systems engineering problem, you've got to consider the concept and then the, the architecture, the intricate design of the system. Um, you've got to evaluate and manage uh, complexity and stability. Um, and uh, also you have to have methods uh, on how to assess whether the system is functioning as designed. And I know we spent uh, quite... Um, uh, you know, quite a bit of research uh, uh, recently, for example, um, on another project, just looking at a method that we could use to determine foaming. So in other words, if we had a system operate that was producing foaming, was there a method that we could use to measure the amount of foaming that the system would uh, produce? Because sometimes foaming is desirable, uh, such as in mineral processing, and sometimes foaming is not desirable when you're doing uh, particular extractions and, and separations. So again, um, this is something that people often don't recognise too, that having valid methods of measuring that your system is is working. These days, system engineering concepts and practices are used in nearly all complex uh, projects. But you know, one example, and this is one that uh, Dr. Corrado points out, of a complex system that displays all the hallmarks of skilled systems engineering is that of our planet Earth and its external support systems, such as the sun and galaxy and our moon. Um, He points out that this system is beautifully designed and optimally positioned within the solar system. and it's intricately balanced to enable and sustain life. Uh, So the Earth system has um, all the tailor-made features um, that uh, engineering uh, systems researchers have determined that are necessary for a planet to be capable of supporting living things. Um, Dr. Grado uh, mentions that there's more than 250 optimised design requirements that a planet must have uh, to support living organisms based on carbon. And so one of these include, for example, a robust that is, you know, um, able to withstand, you know, variations in inputs and customised atmosphere. So a robust and customised atmosphere. Appropriate quantities of water uh, available in its various phases from ice, liquid and vapour an ideal range of surface temperatures and a period of rotation on its axis that is finely tuned. And, of course, a lot of these points were raised in a book uh, that was published by Oxford University Press some years ago, uh, back in 1998, I think the first edition came out, called The Anthropic Cosmological Principle by uh, J. Barrow and uh, F. Tipler. And it's interesting, the fact that System Earth has these... 
uh, finely tuned parameters and and uh, more, actually many more, um, design elements that are essential for life suggest that it is a systems engineering marvel. Um, and um, this is what uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Jonathan uh, Carrado writes. And so um, it's evidence for incredible intelligence. Um, and he gives other examples. For instance, the range of colour a star emits depends on its mass. And in the case of our sun, this was carefully engineered to ensure that the colour of its light is in the right range. If it was shifted more towards the red or more towards the blue, the photosynthetic reaction needed to allow plants to grow and produce food for all and as well as produce life-giving oxygen would be far less efficient. Also, if the sun was more massive... Um, the high energy radiation would increase to overwhelm this defensive shield in place, uh, which is the Earth's magnetosphere. And um, this would, uh, of course, then be directly harmful to life um, and has the potential to strip away the atmosphere. Um, On the other hand, stars of very low mass are unstable and often emit flares that would strip the atmosphere of any planet close enough to be habitable. And so for a star of its particular size, the sun is actually exceptionally stable um, according to uh, the data that we have. And again, for any star like our sun, there's only a limited range of distances from it within which an orbiting planet could potentially be habitable. Um, If the sun was significantly less massive, that range would become too narrow and and also any planet uh, within uh, the closeness required for life would suffer from tidal locking. Um, That is from the force of gravity between it and the sun, meaning that one side of it would be locked in to continually face the sun. And so this would mean boiling temperatures on one side of the planet and freezing temperatures on the other. So there's a lot of fascinating aspects of just the design of our planet, its position around the sun um, and the position in the solar system uh, that, again, are just all evidence of perfect design, particularly when you take them all together. See, if you just had... You know, one of these factors say, oh, well, random, it could produce it. But when so many factors line up, the probability begins to increase very, very rapidly till the point that we can say it's absolutely impossible to arise by any form of chance. It's a design feature. Um, He goes on to uh, point out in um, his uh, article, which was published in Creation, Volume 44, number 4, um, uh, on pages uh, 54 to uh, 55, he points out that the Earth's distance from the sun also appears to be precisely measured for a stable water cycle. If the Earth were too far away, most water would freeze. If the Earth were too close, most water would boil. And also, the Earth's rotation period, axis tilt, magnetic field and crust thickness and the amounts and proportions of oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide all show signs of conforming to the appropriate specifications set in advance. Um, 
he also points out that um, the Earth system ensures that at high in the atmosphere, the balance between the ozone's formation and its destruction ends up with the amount needed to protect life on the surface from destructive ultraviolet rays. So we know that the ozone layer protects us uh, from uh, these um, harmful ultraviolet um, light rays from the, the sun, which would destroy uh, you know, living matter if uh, the full uh, intensity was allowed to get through. So the, um, the ozone layer is... Um, very protective of that. And, of course, this is one of the reasons why we need to uh, protect the ozone layer and we realise, fortunately, in time that a lot of the uh, fluorocarbons and so forth that were being used as refrigerants were doing a lot of damage um, to the ozone layer. And, of course, things like chlorine and that that we use in water chlorination, all these sort of compounds and many other compounds um, weaken the ozone layer. And there are parts on this, you know, on this Earth's surface now where the ozone layer is much thinner, and we have you know much higher rates of ultraviolet light. It's a lot easier for this when you're out in the sun in these regions. You find that you burn much more um, quickly. And so again, when we we look at other design systems, of course, we have the the DNA molecule. Now this is another amazing design uh, system. Uh, that enables um, living organisms to be constructed from their gamete cells. So we know, for example, that uh, DNA, which stands for deoxyribonucleic acid, um, is a, a very long information storage mechanism um, that has the four chemical letters, A, adenine, T, thymine, C, cytosine, uh, G, guanine, and, uh, of course, the way to remember this is, uh, I do it anyway, Australian Capital Territory is good, ACT and G. Um, and, uh, for example, in humans, there's about three billion letters of those codes, those particular chemical bases, adenine, thymine, cytosine and guanine. These are chemical bases, individual chemical structures that make up a coding system that we call the, the letters of the code. And uh, so the language is written using these four letters. We've, in English, of course, we have 26 letters, but um, in biological systems, four are used. And, um, of course, the, um, the DNA, just a single strand of human DNA would be about two metres long. Um, and every day in every cell about one million of those letters gets damaged by oxygen or water uh, or by being overstretched or over-twisted. And there are around 50 trillion cells in the human body. And so you have about 50 pentillion mutations in your body every day. Um, and so this requires a huge complement of DNA repair enzymes. And without these enzymes, life could not exist. Yet the information needed to make these enzymes is recorded in our DNA. So which came first, the DNA or the DNA repair enzymes that are coded in the DNA? And of course, DNA by itself would be useful if it, uh, useless if it wasn't for a ribosome, the little molecular machine that takes that information and builds 
proteins. Um, but of course, these thing, these uh, the DNA, the language in DNA, again, is powerful evidence of system design. In this case, computer. Oh well, it's not really a computer, but um, information systems design, in- information engineering systems, and um, you know it, it's really frustrating that um, you know we have all these evolutionary ideas that are taught in school about DNA having been uh, that have now been shown to be false. For example. Um, it was once said that humans share between 98 to 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees. However, we know today that this number has dropped to about 85%. And there are massive um, differences between the two species with uh, humans possessing entire gene families that are not found in chimpanzees and vice versa. And for more information on that, there was... Um, an interesting article uh, that's available on uh, creation.com if you Google the 1% myth uh, by Don um, uh, Batten or the myth of 1%. Uh, There's an inter- interesting article there that has uh, a lot of uh, uh, details uh, on that. Um, it's interesting that Dr. John Alquist the scientist uh, who first proposed that our DNA is 98% similar to the chimpanzees, in the and he proposed this back in the uh, early 1980s, he retreated from this idea and even became a creationist. Um, and there's a story about him uh, was actually featured, featured in, in Creation magazine. And... Um, if you uh, just Googled creation.com forward slash um, and then his name, J-O-N dash A-H-L-Q-U-I-S-T. And you can read all about that. Uh, again, further evidence of amazing design um, and engineering um, comes in... Um, the uh, the error that uh, was believed earlier on that uh, it was once said that uh, about 97% of the human genome is useless junk and now has been um, found that this DNA that was supposed junk um, is essential uh, because it allows for um, mutations to accumulate in our genome without it destroying the existing information it contains. Um, but um, evolutionary biologist J.S. Matic stated that the failure to recognise the function of junk DNA may well go down as one of the biggest mistakes in the history of molecular biology. And so um, we now know that um, the um, DNA itself, the genome, contains multiple overlapping codes. This means that any given DNA letter could be included in multiple instructions at the same time. Uh, So one letter may be part of a code that affects the 3D structure of DNA. At the same time, this letter could help the code for the production of DNA repair mechanisms and more. And it's interesting, without this overlapping information, the genome would have to be very, very 
much larger. And uh, and this, the fact that these um, uh, letters can be involved in mo- multiple codes um, is one of the amazing design features of the DNA system that enables it to carry so much information in such a small amount of space. Um, it's quite uh, fascinating. Um, and again, this is one example of how, our, uh, for example, the human genome's complexity far surpasses what was expected. Um, and I think when we think about it, the more complex life is, the harder it is for us really to believe um, in evolution accounting for it, random, blind mutations. Another interesting thing, of course, that's come to life is that, um, of course, we inherit our DNA from our parents, but certain portions of our DNA come exclusively from one parent. For example, every man inherits his Y chromosome from his father, and only women pass on their mitochondrial DNA to their children. Both the Y chromosome and the mitochondrial genome are subject to mutations, and this has been used to construct a global family tree for men and women. Um, and so, again, as scientists try, you know, trace this back, um, it's, uh, the information shows that all humans today are descended from a single man and a single woman. And, of course, that um, single man would have been Noah because um, uh, Noah and three sons, uh, who, again, they would have inherited their Y chromosomes from Noah. So uh, everything um, descends from Noah. And, of course, um, the mitochondrial DNA would have come from the the three wives. And uh, I understand there are three distinct types of mitochondrial um, DNA as well. So it's amazing how it fits um, the biblical account of, um, of creation. And so, again, we see this um, um, evidence everywhere. And uh, that was a, uh, a, a, an interesting article that uh, I read uh, recently um, by Bruce Lawrence. It was called uh, The Marvelous Molecule, A Look at the Language of Life. And um, there's actually... Um, Another book that has just come out recently that, um, again, points to these amazing amazing, system design um, in living things is a book called um, Design Dissected. It's quite a new book. Um, It's by um, uh, Professor David J. Galloway. So it's called Design Dissected. Uh, by Professor David J. Galloway, G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y. And, um, of course, um, he is um, uh, not only an MD but also a DSC, Doctor of Science. Um, He's a a surgeon um, who trained at uh, the University of Glasgow um, and worked at uh, various hospitals around the uh, world, 
his postgraduate academic work was focused on cancer research and in particular investigated aspects of cell division and the way at which can be influenced by various environmental and dietary factors. Um, in 2015, he was elected to the role of president of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow. And he writes a, a, this fascinating book, Design Dissected, um, insights into the unbelievable complexity of human biochemistry and physiology. And his prime interest in this book seems to be demonstrating that there's real scientific evidence that the biosphere was designed for a purpose. And he presents a series, uh, according to John Lennox, who wrote a very good review of uh, the book, Professor John Lennox, uh, who also has a DSC as well as uh, uh, a Doctor of Philosophy and a PhD, so it's three doctorates, <laughs> He's a Professor of Mathematics at Oxford. He, uh, he writes that Galloway presents a series of telling challenges to naturalism and materialism, showing that they simply do not have the explanatory power to account for what science has revealed about the nature of life and consciousness. So it's a, a fantastic um, uh, book um, that is now available uh, that provides this um, um, a, another reviewer, uh, Michael uh, Behe, um, who wrote the book Darwin's Black Box. He wrote, um, doing a, as a review of this book, he wrote, by far the strongest evidence that a system was deliberately designed is the very structure of the system itself. When we discover multiple complex parts elegantly fitted to work with each other, the conclusion of purpose is irresistible. In the book Design Dissected, surgeon and academic uh, David Galloway regales the reader with uh, evidence after evidence of the wonders of the human body and of the disasters that result when a part fails. Um, he, by the end of the book, his conclusion that the body was purposely designed becomes self-evident. So here we have this amazing evidence for design, for a creator, for a supernatural creator. And again, I think if any listeners have doubt that we were created, um, then the uh, books like this and the evidence I've uh, alluded to in this um, in this talk today provides powerful evidence that there was an amazing creator that created not only this life on earth but our solar system and universe as well. You've been listening to Faith and Science and remember if you want to re-listen to this program uh, just uh, Google 3ABN Australia or one word .org.au and uh, click on the, the radio button and, and look for the Faith and, and Science program. And uh, in these talks I've included uh, references um, so that people can, can follow up and, and check some of the evidence and, and share it with, um, with others too. I know uh, today people are... Uh, have, have doubts being raised all the time by the popular media and so forth as to whether God exists. We have powerful evidence that God exists and it's the God described in the Bible as well. And so please, um, I would encourage um, 
all all listeners to share these links, um, the Three ABN Australia um, links on your social media pages. Tell friends about them so they too can learn the over about the overwhelming evidence that we now have that we were created by a loving Creator God. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 